Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Lord, we do thank you for that, and we're grateful for your presence here with us even this morning. May you continue. Let us speak to us, and let us have ears to hear what you have to say to each of us this morning as we're here. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, you can have a seat. Good morning, friends, and welcome to City Church OTR. My name is Tyler. I am one of the pastors here, and we are absolutely delighted that you are here this morning, whether you're here in person or if you are joining us online. Uh, we are thrilled, and uh, what you should know about our church is that City Church OTR, it's a new faith community in the heart of our city, and we're interested in cultivating the kind of family that Jesus introduced to the world, uh, which for us means that this church is a church for everyone, uh, for everyone. It's for singles and couples. It's for the resourced and the under-resourced, the young, the young at heart, the employed, the unemployed, the underemployed, the marginalized and the privileged, uh, present leaders and future leaders, uh, the exhausted, the energized, thinkers and feelers. No matter who you are, this church is for you. We want to be a church for everyone, Uh, a church that in many ways looks like the eclectic community that Jesus' first followers drew together in the first century. And because that's who we want to be, and because that's who we believe God has invited us to be, we're spending the next few months together studying the book of Acts. Uh, We're going to take our time investigating this ancient historical text that documents the birth and the growth of the early church in its earliest moments. Uh, But before we start that journey together, I want to tell you a story. Is that all right? I got a quick story. It's a true story. It's a somewhat funny story. It's real. It happened earlier this year. In fact, it happened on Sunday, January 17th, to be exact. Do you know where you were Sunday, January 17th? Anybody? I know where I was. I was right here uh, for one of our preview services. It was a blast. We had one service that morning. And then after church, I went to lunch with Nick, who you heard playing the drums earlier, right? So I'm at lunch with Nick and his girlfriend, Daria. And it was great. But afterwards, I was wiped out. I needed a nap big time. Wasn't their fault, right? I was just tired from the morning. So I go home. I take a nap. I wake up later. And we watch together as a church staff team, the Kansas City Chiefs take on the Cleveland Browns. Okay, so it's an NFL game, if you aren't familiar with those terms. Uh, And and here's what you need to know. I know very, very little about football, like very little um, about football. I've got a few lines that help me fake my way through a game. But by and large, I don't know the rules. I don't know the jargon. I don't know what's like really happening in these games. Uh, But I'm enjoying it, and I know that it's the Chiefs versus the Browns. And I know that in our church, we have a massive Browns fan. Uh, His name is Luke. If you've been here before and you've heard someone play the violin, so Luke, like violin Luke, loves the Cleveland Browns. And so I'm texting Luke just because it's a Browns game. And wouldn't you know it, but in the game, something happens. The Browns intercept a ball from the Kansas City Chiefs in the end zone. And like I said, I know very little about football, but I know enough to know that that's like a big deal. And so sensing an opportunity, my good pals Chris, or Chris and Josh, 
they tell me, they try to convince me that an interception in an end zone is known in the football community as a baby back. Uh, they say this is just a term. They're like, oh, man, baby back. And I was a little skeptical at first, but I'm like, all right. I mean, I guess if they say it, and they know football more than I do. So I text Luke uh, in all caps, three exclamation points. I'm like, baby back, uh, just trying to celebrate with him. And as soon as I press send, I mean, Chris and Josh are just dying with laughter. And my suspicions were confirmed that baby backs aren't real things. Uh, and if Luke was like puzzled by what he said, he never let it on. He was real sweet. He just replied, you know, with his own commentary about the game. But I sent that text to Luke because I believed them. I believe my bros, my sports bros, uh, were giving me a good inside scoop about what was happening. And if they said it was time to celebrate a baby back, I mean, I was ready and going for it. And I say all that to say this. Our beliefs have origins. Uh, the thoughts that shape our behaviors, the assumptions that form our worldviews, the things we know that inform the things we do, we've received them from someone somewhere. And from time to time, it's worth reinvestigating the sources of our beliefs and evaluating the reliability of those sources. See, when it comes to football, I still believe Chris and Josh because they do know more about the game than I do. And baby backs aside, uh, they generally have my best interests in mind. They've taught me so much about sports already. It's like, okay, I can, I can trust them. They're reliable sources. But this morning, of course, isn't about football. We're going to be thinking about faith. And as we begin our exploration of the book of Acts, an exploration we'll be committed to for the next couple months, I think we have to start by asking ourselves, hey, when it comes to faith, why do I believe what I believe? You know, why do I believe what I believe? And perhaps you're here and you'd say you're a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're here and you've never made that commitment for yourself, but you at least owe it to yourself, no matter who you are, to ask yourself, hey, when it comes to ultimate things, when it comes to faith, when it comes to reality about the world, why do I believe what I believe? Is it because I was raised with it? Uh, because I've never really investigated anything else, because it's relatively easy for me to accept, uh, because I've been part of it my whole life, because my friends believe it. I mean, why do you believe what you believe? Why do I believe what I believe? Uh, is it because of a book a friend gave me? Is it because of a, a message, a conference, right? Why do I believe what I believe? Why do you believe what you believe? And just so you know up front, today as we dive into the book of Acts, I'm going to try to do my best to make the case that if you're a sincere Jesus follower, if you're someone who has built your life on the firm foundation of his teaching, like we sang about, and, and has oriented your life around the reality and hope of his resurrection, I think you can be confident in your beliefs. And you can rest certain that they're reliable and trustworthy because they're rooted in eyewitness testimony about who Jesus is and what that means. I mean, that testimony about who Jesus is, that's what we're going to find recorded in the book of Acts. What happens in Acts is that witnesses of Jesus' life become witnesses to Jesus' power, and they launch an unstoppable community that is built around love and sacrifice and grace and repentance. I mean, that's why the Christian faith survived the first century, because an eclectic group of Jesus' followers experienced his power, and they could not stop talking about it. 
So in one sentence, the book of Acts teaches us that our faith is built on witnesses, real people who experienced Jesus' real power. It's why the church existed then. It's why our church exists now. And if you're someone, again, who follows Jesus, I pray you'll leave today bolstered in your confidence that your faith is rooted in something real and powerful. And if you're someone who doesn't yet consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I'd invite you to give fresh consideration to the actual origins of Christian faith because they might be different than what you've imagined. But that's enough by way of introduction. It is time for us to die in. So if you have a Bible with you, will you join me in Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. And you heard me correct. Some of you might be thinking, Tyler, I thought you said Acts. Well, Luke and Acts, it's like one volume that goes together. It's it's two books, but they tell the same story. I mean, the, the author of Luke was the author of Acts. If you read it in like the Greek, you can see that. So I don't know, some of you, like do you ever get texts and you're just like, oh, I can tell my dad wrote that, right? Like he's got distinctive writing. There's distinctive writing that lets us know that the author of Luke was the author of Acts and that they're actually a two-part volume produced together, made to be read together. They go together. Uh, You could think of it this way. Think of it as like Luke is Infinity Wars and Acts is Endgame in Adventures, right? So one story, I don't know if you remember the series when it came out, one story of all these superheroes from Marvel uh, in two parts, two theatrical releases. Or if you're not like a big superhero movie person, but you're a little more into musical theater, like your boy down here, you could think of it this way. Uh, it's as if Luke is wicked and Acts is the Wizard of Oz, right? So one story, uh, all about Dorothy and her journey, but you know, you get two different parts, you get some context and you get the rest of the story, right? So uh, Luke and Acts, they go together. The introduction to Luke is actually the introduction to Acts. So we're going to begin in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. There the author writes, Hey, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first, who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Don't miss that word, eyewitnesses. It's important. With this in mind, Luke continues, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke, the author, either writing to a specific person named Theophilus, which you should know means like God, lover, right? So Philadelphia, brotherly love, Theo, God. So we've got either a specific person named Theophilus, or maybe Luke is addressing a group, but naming them as a community Theophilus. This was custom at the time, but Luke's got an audience in mind. Theophilus is the name, and he's saying, hey, many people have undertaken to document all the incredible things that took place since Jesus arrived on earth and lived and died and rose again. And I, I, Luke, wanted to write an orderly account for you based on eyewitness testimony so that you might know with certainty the true story. I mean, what happened, what actually happened as it relates to Jesus' life. I mean, this was always Luke's intention to collect a comprehensive story of who Jesus is and what Jesus started so that Jesus' followers would never forget the origins of their faith. So Luke makes his purpose plain in Luke chapter 1, and then he goes all the way to Acts chapter 1, and he continues there. He says, okay, so in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus had begun to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, Luke says, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So Luke says, hey, I'm continuing the story. 
uh, the first part that was all about Jesus's life. He said, that, that happened, Theophilus. If you need some help around that one, read my earlier book. But now in this new book, I'm going to give you an account of everything that's happened since, after he had gave instructions through the Holy Spirit and went back up to heaven. And so Luke continues. He says, hey, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them the command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Luke says the story of Jesus, it didn't end with Jesus' death. In fact, it only became worth telling because he was resurrected. And Luke says this living Jesus, he was with his followers for a period of about 40 days, and he wasn't just some figment of their imagination. He was eating with them. He was physically present with them, resurrected and alive. But then one day, Luke says, he told them, he gave them instructions. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for this gift my father promised, this gift that's the, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is coming. And in response to that assertion, Jesus' disciples, Luke says, they, they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, I love this particular verse, Acts 1-6. I love it for two reasons. I mean, here's the first reason. Uh, the first one is that it, it suggests to me that Acts is a pretty reliable historical account. I mean, here's why I say that. When I, like, retell stories about the past that involved me in it, I, like, really make myself out to be pretty good. You know, I don't leave my bad decisions in there. I say I knew what was going on all along. Like, I, you know, my mind's so sharp. Look how I was the hero, right? I mean, that's how I retell stories from the past. Is that some of you guys do the same thing? Okay, yeah, so there's like a common thing. When we're retelling stories about the past, we generally make ourselves look better. We make our motives seem pure. We make ourselves seem wiser, but Luke is honest and records a moment where Jesus' disciples still don't get what he's up to. He's like, man, there were still questions. These people that are going to go on to be like legends of the faith, Luke's pretty honest about the fact that, hey, they, they didn't get it right. And that's the second reason it's really comforting to me. It's like, I find this verse to be so comforting because this question suggests that Jesus' followers, even after he's died and after he's raised and after he's been with them 40 days and had a chance to like repeat his teaching and get them on board again, they still don't understand what Jesus is about. They're still asking, hey, is, is this when the kingdom of Israel will be restored? Which was another way of saying, hey, is this where that like violent military coup is going to come and overthrow Rome, and now we're going to be a sovereign nation again with no oppressors, right? Remember, Chris maybe talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you missed it, you can find it at citychurchotr.com slash messages. Uh, so they don't understand it. Even after the death and resurrection, even after Jesus has come back, they're still thinking there's some kind of military overthrow in store. And I find that comforting, strangely, because I don't always get it. And I don't always understand. And I bring my assumptions and my agenda to Jesus. And I tell him what he should be focused on and what I'm sure needs to happen next instead of listening to him tell me what I should be focused on. And Acts 1-6 is a great reminder that Jesus' earliest followers did the exact same thing. And that impulse to oppose their agenda and expectations on Jesus, it ultimately did not disqualify them from being invited by Jesus to be witnesses to his life and his power. Even though they still didn't get it, Jesus says, I still have a plan for you all. See, they had no idea what was coming. 
Uh, they didn't understand what the arrival of the Holy Spirit was mean. There would be no military coup at all. Um, in fact, they were going to encounter a power stronger than any sword, power that grants supernatural love, power that provides immeasurable joy, power that offers peace beyond human understanding, power that gives patience that's persistent with kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control all thrown in. Jesus says a revolution is coming, but it's not going to happen how you think. And so in response to their question about, man, is this the time? Jesus says, hey, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, which is Jesus' way of saying, you don't need to know everything that we've got planned. But then in Acts 1.8, Jesus reiterates, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says you will receive power and you will become my witnesses. Witnesses. Our faith, friends, is built on witnesses. In fact, the New Testament documents that we have, they were in many ways produced by these witnesses, the gospels that speak of Jesus's life, the letters that give guidance to the earliest churches. They were produced by witnesses to Jesus's life and witnesses of the Holy Spirit's power. Our faith is built on witnesses. Think of it this way. Think of the New Testament as one of those, it's kind of like one of those movies based on a true story, right? The events happen first, and then the documentation of the events happen after, except even more so the New Testament. It's the divinely inspired, authorized, and accurate, reliable, and trustworthy spirit-breathed account of real-life events that gave birth to the Christian faith. I mean, I saw the other day, it's like the 100-year anniversary of the Titanic sinking. Did you guys see this? It's the 100-year anniversary of the Titanic sinking. Uh, I'm so glad we have airplanes now. Uh, but it's the 100th anniversary, and so it's like that event definitively happened in the past, and then the spirit-inspired, authorized Celine Dion version came out in 1997. No, but you get the idea. The idea is there. Real events documented, except in this case, not with such a long time in between, documented by witnesses who were there, who were talked to actual witnesses, much closer timeline than even Titanic in the movie. I mean, real events documented for us, our faith is rooted or it came about by witnesses. It's built on witnesses. And if we're going to understand the whole book of Acts for the rest of our journey through it, and if we're going to get what Luke's message was from the very beginning, we have to understand that the power of this complete and thorough account that he compiled is that it's based on eyewitness testimony. That's what Luke would want us to take away from the opening verses of his second volume. Our faith is built on witnesses. But what, is, what exactly is a witness? And what does it mean to be a witness? Well, that's what we need to consider in the moments that remain for us. So here's my take, thinking about witnesses. Why is it important that we understand witnesses? What is a witness? Well, a witness both sees evidence and is evidence. A witness both sees evidence and is evidence. Uh, think about it in a courtroom setting. A witness sees something happening. So I see a burglary in progress. I see a car accident unfold. I see a document in my office that says there's some kind of big corruption going on in our corporation, right? So a witness like sees evidence, but then in another sense, a witness is evidence. Many times witnesses themselves become part of the story. They react to something that they notice, and now I'm a, I'm a witness. I saw a car wreck, but now I'm stopping to pull over to help. 
or I saw a robbery in progress, but now I'm like, I'm over here trying to help the victim out, right? So a victim sees evidence, there's something they observe, but then there tends to be too, and many times something they do or something that they like, they are now, they're living differently in light of what they've seen. A witness sees evidence and a witness is evidence. They can become part of the story. Does that make sense a little bit? Are you tracking with me? So here's the radical point in Acts chapter one. And it's a reality we'll encounter again and again as we study the books of Acts together. The big claim is this, it's that our faith, faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ, the conviction that he is who he says he was and that trusting him and following him brings new life and new power, power from the Holy Spirit, uh, that faith isn't something that was born because someone wrote a book. And it's not something that a few ancient people dreamed up in a brainstorming session. And it wasn't workshopped in a classroom. It wasn't strategized in a boardroom. It didn't emerge after like target market testing and a little bit of group research. A faith in Jesus Christ isn't here today because someone somewhere imagined it and marketed it. A faith in Jesus exists today because Peter saw Jesus and he was a witness. He observed Jesus' life. He observed his death and his resurrection and Peter through his own life experience, there are things he's seen, but then through his own experience, he, he became evidence to the fact that following Jesus changes everything. Peter saw something, he saw evidence, but then he became evidence. Here's now a Jewish guy who embraces Gentiles as family. Here's a former fisherman who now is willing to give his life over the fact that he would ever recant his claim that the person he followed for three years is in fact the son of God. Right? So Peter saw something, he, there was, he was witness in the sense that he observed evidence, but then he also became evidence. I mean, faith in Jesus, it's not here today because some ancient rabbis got bored and decided to invent a new faith system. A faith in Jesus exists today because John saw Jesus, and he was an eyewitness to Jesus' miracles and Jesus' teaching. And in fact, John would dedicate the later years of his life to documenting that teaching for us and writing letters to these early new churches. I mean, John saw something, he observed evidence, and then in his life, he, he became evidence. I mean, for the overwhelming, never-ending love of God. I mean, John's the one who told us God is love, right? John saw something, and he became something. He became evidence for the fact that Jesus is worth following. Faith in Jesus, it exists today not because governments enforced it or philosophers validated it, but because Paul was an eyewitness to the risen Jesus. In fact, I mean, we'll study this in Acts, the risen Jesus literally stops Paul in his tracks. And just immediately, this experience of Jesus for Paul, it turned him from someone who was bent on destroying these communities of faith built around Jesus into someone who gave his life to help build the church. I mean, Paul was a witness. He saw the risen Jesus, so he was a witness to seeing Jesus was alive. But then he, he became evidence. He became a witness to the fact that the power of Jesus could transform anyone, no matter their past. I mean, our faith is built on witnesses, first century witnesses, witnesses who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry it forward. And I'd like to go so far as to say that my faith, and perhaps your faith, it's still here because of faithful witnesses. There are still people who have seen God work and who through their actions demonstrate that God is alive and active and engaged in our world. I mean, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And friends, that's exactly what happened. 
I mean, I'm here. My faith exists today because Peter was a witness to Jesus, and John was a witness to Jesus, and Mary Magdalene was a witness to Jesus, and Paul was a witness to Jesus, and Leslie Clark, my high school history teacher, was a witness to Jesus, and Rob Gervin, our college Bible study, I mean, it's where Chris and I met, he was a witness to Jesus, and T.J. Wallace, one of my longest friends and closest confidence, is a witness to Jesus. And John and Tanya Cherneski, my parents watching on the stream, witnesses to Jesus. People that have seen God move, they have something they've observed, but then also people that through their own lives are a testimony to the fact that God is alive and real and working and can be trusted. Our faith is built on witnesses. And if you follow Jesus, the invitation for you this morning is to consider how that same Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit who Jesus promised might be inviting you to more powerfully function as a witness to the reality of Jesus in the places where you live, with the people that you know, in the parts of our city where you work and where you play and where you have influence. I mean, simply put, if you follow Jesus, you have received the Holy Spirit and you have been invited to be a witness. So perhaps you're thinking, hey, Tyler, this sounds great. It's kind of inspiring, maybe. I'd love to join this like cloud of witnesses, this team of witnesses who have been talking about faith for a long haul. But here's the thing, man. I mean, I think of the, my experience of this whole Jesus thing, and, and I know that Peter had a cool story, and John saw some things, and, and Paul saw some stuff. But my experience, it just feels so far from theirs. You say I'm supposed to be a witness, but what would I even have to report? Like, how could I ever be a good witness? What's going to help me become a more effective witness. Well, in our time that remains, I have two self-reflective questions, two things that might help those who follow Jesus think about their witness and perhaps even become better witnesses to who Jesus is. Uh, two questions. The first is this. I think it's important for all those who follow Jesus to ask themselves, hey, what have I seen? What have I seen? What have I seen that proves God's faithfulness? What have I seen that demonstrates God's love? What have I seen that shows the goodness of following Jesus? And if you say to yourself, hey, honestly, man, I haven't seen much, uh, you should know that we are a church that's committed to experiencing more of who God is. And our sincere prayer would be that through your involvement in this community, should you choose to be involved, that you would get more stories, uh, that you would see more of God at work, and you would, you would leave encouraged, and you would know as being part of this community that it's like, yeah, God is active, and I have this story, and that story, and this moment, and that moment that I can point to to say, these are things that I have seen. I mean, what have you seen when it comes to faith? What have you seen when it comes to who God is? That's a great question when it's evaluating, man, if I'm going to be a better witness, I should know. I should know. What have I seen? And the second question is this, then what do I demonstrate? I mean, what does my behavior say about who Jesus is? What does my presence communicate to those around me about the difference Jesus can make in someone's life? I mean, how does my interaction in certain spaces help other people see the truth and the grace and the love and the joy and the self-control that Jesus taught and said was available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, those two questions, what have I seen and then what do I demonstrate, those are questions that can help us become better, more faithful witnesses to who Jesus is if we're dedicated on the journey of following him. So friends, I've said it already, for the next few months, we're going to be diving into the experience of eyewitnesses who gave birth to our faith. But this morning, that journey begins with us thinking about our own witness 
And we have the opportunity to be inspired again to serve as better witnesses of Jesus, people who think about what they've seen and what they demonstrate to those around them. And so now, as we head into a time of response, um, a time to reflect, a time to pray, a time to continue in worship, I'd love to just make a few invitations. As we always do here, there will be folks available to pray with you uh, in front of the two exit doors. So if you're like, hey, something you've said stirred up a need for prayer in me or something that happened to me this week I really want to pray about with someone else, that's great. Uh, We love to make space for that so you can pray in front of one of those two doors. Um, Another thing we love to make available every week is the Lord's table. You might have seen it when you walked in on those chairs. It's one of those little cuppies that you like, you peel the first thing, there's the bread, the second one you get the juice. And we just want to make that available to followers of Jesus every week because we believe that Jesus invited us to celebrate his death, his body broken for us, and his blood shed for us as often as we gather together. And so it's there, and while the band's playing in the second set, you can go and grab one of those cups and maybe take it with someone that you've came with or some people that are sitting around you. That's an invitation as well. There's also a space to continue to reflect on those questions. What have I seen? What do I demonstrate? Maybe that's something you talk to the Lord about in prayer yourself from your seat. And then, of course, you can always join in with the band and sing praise to God, right, who's given us so much good news, so many things to be witnesses to. But whatever you need to do in this time, can I just make the request that you take this seriously? I mean, what other spaces like this do we get throughout the week to slow down, to think about faith, to think about matters of first importance, and to say, gosh, there's time to pause, time to listen to the Spirit's prompting, time to make some decisions, time to receive prayer if we need it, or to be reminded of the ultimate truth that God loves us through taking the Lord's table, right? So please, I encourage you to take this time seriously. Think about your witness. And let's reflect on what God has for each of us this morning.